My favorite feature of my great-grandparents' house, which was way out in the country, was not the beautiful hills that surrounded them, though we enjoyed the beauty of those hills. It was not the huge barn made out of huge hand-hewn logs, though we spent many hours playing in the loft of that barn. It wasn't even the little creek that ran beside their house, though we waited for many hours in that creek, especially I, because my bare foot often seemed to find the fresh cow patty, and it was a convenient place to rinse my feet. Was that too much information for you? Now, my favorite feature was the old well that was just off the back porch. The old iron pump handle was fixed to a big square stone. And we would go to that handle and we would pump and pump and pump the handle until the water started to flow out across that trough. Fresh, clean, cold, and sweet. And on summer days, once we had that water flowing, we would stick our whole heads under the flow of it. Now, I think that pump and that old well was my version of water from the rock. Do you remember that story from the Old Testament? God's people were making their way from Egypt through the desert to the promised land. And they came to a place in the wilderness called Rephidim, and there was no water in that place. And so the people began to complain, and God said to Moses that he should take his staff and that he should strike the rock at Horeb. And God said, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. And so Moses obeyed. He took his staff, he struck the rock, and the water poured out. And because God said, I will stand before you there on the rock, some believe that God is actually commanding Moses to strike him, to strike him, and the blessings will flow. Now listen. The Apostle Paul takes the church at Corinth back to this event, back to these ancient ancestors, and he tells them, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock, capital R, that followed them, and the rock was Christ. And so with the verses that we have before us this morning, I hope to strike Christ that his blessings might gush out on us. Christ, the one that this passage calls the rock, the stone. And I hope that it will entice all of us to continually come to Him to receive the blessings of His grace. You and I, as believers in Christ, must be constantly drawing near to Him. That's what I want us to talk about this morning as we return once again to the book of 1 Peter, to the letter. If you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to take those now and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, please look in the pew in front of you and you'll find one there. And when you found your place in 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word 
of the living God. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, this is the word of the Lord. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now... You have received mercy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you now through your word, the truth of it, the glory of it, the beauty of it, and we ask you, Spirit of God, to take these spiritual truths and make them spiritual life to us. Nourish our souls. Feed them, water them, we pray through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I don't know if you notice as I read these verses, but there are no instructions, no commands, no imperatives in any of these verses. They put before us nothing about what we must do or should do or become. They contain only statements of facts about what God has done for us. About the new reality that God has given to us in Christ. You know, so many people, Christians as well as non-Christians, see God as a God who commands, a God who demands relentlessly. Does he command? Does he demand? Yes. But he is first a God who blesses. A God who pours out relentlessly. His commandments flow from and are empowered by his great gracious goodness to us. This is the way our God is. From the time of creation. God Gave Adam and Eve glory before they ever opened their eyes or drew their first independent breath. God had already created them in his own image. That is abundant grace created in the image of God. He gave them a garden. 
He said, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. This is abundant grace. It's only after God has poured out His blessings of abundant grace on them that He gave them the command, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Blessing and gracious abundance then command. God hasn't changed His pattern that He put in place at creation. He inspires the apostle Peter to write in the same way. I want you to see that pattern this morning. So please look back with me at chapter 1. Now look, I know that the way that I preach, which means I think I preached 14 sermons out of just chapter 1, I know that preaching that way can make you miss the forest for the trees because we look at them so closely. Well, I want you to see the trees this morning. I want you to see the pattern. I want you to see the abundant grace that comes before the commands. So go back to chapter 1. In the first 12 verses of chapter 1, Peter writes all indicatives, all statements of what God has done, all the ways that God has blessed you. Are you ready to hear them? I'm going to strike the rock so that the blessings of Christ flow on us. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. You are the elect of God. You are foreknown by God. You are sanctified by the Spirit of God. You are sprinkled by the blood of Christ. Verse 3. You're born again by the mercy of God into a living hope. Verse 4. You have an imperishable undefiled, unfading inheritance that God is keeping for you. Verse 5, you are being guarded by God's power. You have a complete, full salvation that God is just waiting to reveal to you. Verses 8 and 9, you have inexpressible, glory-filled joy because God saved your soul through Christ. Verse 12, So glorious is the salvation that God has given to you in Christ that the angels in heaven who already dwell in the glorious presence of God want to look into that salvation. So you strike the rock and these are the blessings that flow. God really is a more than we can ask or imagine God. Do you believe that? The Apostle John has already told us in the first chapter of his gospel that Jesus came full of grace and truth. So full that that grace spills out on us, causing John to continue. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Wave after wave after wave of the grace of God washes over us. It's like going to the well and putting our heads under and letting the gifts of God's grace pour over us. And then from that grace comes the strength and the power 
and the will to obey the commands of God, which, by the way, the commands of God are blessings in and of themselves because they show us how we ought to live in this world. They show us who we ought to be in this world. They show us what it is that we should aim for in this world, what we should value in this world. Only after he blesses does he command. And so we saw those commands, five of them. Stay with me in chapter 1. The first one, verse 13, set your hope on grace. The second one, verse 15, be holy in all your conduct. The third one, verse 17, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time in this life. The fourth, verse 22, love one another deeply and from the heart. And fifthly, the one we saw last week, chapter 2, verse 1, put off and put on. Put off malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. Put on the Word of God. Crave the pure spiritual milk of His Word. The understanding of. And the obedience to these commands that will bless us are empowered by the gush of blessings that God gives to us in Christ. Because that's God's way. And now this morning, we see the same pattern put before us again in these verses. Verses 4 through 10. Because before God gives more commands, which He is going to do, He first gives more blessing, more grace. And so I'm going to strike the rock again. Look in verse 5. You are living stones, being built up as a spiritual house. Present, passive, statement of faith. God has made you a stone. He's building you into his house. Keep reading. Verse 5. You are a holy priesthood. That's a fact. God has made you to be this. Keep reading. God accepts your spiritual sacrifices through Jesus Christ. That's a fact. God accepts yours. And my flawed, imperfect sacrifices. And that's his choice to do so. And he can accept them because they come to him through his work in Christ. Verse 7, God has given you honor, respect, esteem in Christ. And so it goes on along. Verse 9, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. He has called you out of darkness and put you into his marvelous light. Fact, 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 fact. Verse 10. You used to not be a people. Now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy. Now you have received mercy. These are the things that God has done for us in Christ. Are they good news to your ears? Are they? Are they? Are they? Are they? I've already drawn your attention to the fact that there are no instructions here, just blessings. But Peter does make an assumption As we saw last week in verse 3, he assumes that the people to whom he writes have tasted the goodness of the Lord. You know, for 36 years, Kathy, my dear wife, in an attempt to help us not 
consume too much sugar, which she tenderly refers to as white poison, says after she takes one bite of the delectable dessert that's put in front of us and then puts her fork down, she says, it never gets better than the first bite. Now, that's a true statement. And her hope in making that statement is that it will prevent me from taking too many bites of that white poison. Or more likely to prevent me from ordering a second dessert, which I'm likely to do. But it never works. I never, never stop at the first bite. It tastes too good. And sometimes I do order a second dessert and now... I have scriptural affirmation that I am right and she is wrong. Look at the end of verse 3 and in the beginning of verse 4. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good as you come to Him. As you come to Him. You've tasted that He is good. Now come to Him. It's a participle verb, form of the verb, and it means constant in the present action. It means you're always doing this over and over and over again, always coming back for more of Christ. The people thirsting in the desert, they drew near to that rock because that rock was the source of their water. Peter assumes here that because these people have experienced how good Christ is, then the continual, the common, Daily activity of their lives will be coming to Christ. Because Christ is not a dead stone. Christ is, as Peter calls him here, a living stone, a living rock, with the water of life within him. Life, life, life. Peter heard Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Peter really didn't have a clue what Jesus meant when Jesus said those words, but he knows them now. And perhaps that's the reason that Paul seems to love to use this word, living, so much. In chapter 1, verse 3, he writes that we're born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Peter saw the tomb. He saw that it was empty. He saw the risen Christ. He walked with and talked with And ate with him. He saw him go to heaven. He knows life is in Christ. And Peter never wants to be far from that life. He writes in chapter 1 verse 23. Of the living and the abiding word of God. The living word of God. It's alive. Christ himself is that word. And now he writes that Christ is a living stone. Life, life, life. Peter has experienced that life. Peter is experiencing that life. Christ is life. Peter never wants to be far from it. He never wants us to be far from it. And so he writes here, as you come to him. The question is, are you coming to him? Coming to Christ means at least two things. It means coming to Him in faith. 
Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. In John chapter 5, Jesus says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Coming to Christ is coming in faith. In John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. John 6, 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent draws me, and I will raise him up on the last day. There are more verses, but these are enough. Coming to Christ is having faith in Him. Do you come to Him with that faith? Hebrews 11 tells us without faith it's impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near, same word, draw near to God, must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. The verses before us this morning. These are the blessings. These are the rewards of those who come to Christ in faith. Who every day keep believing by faith that God is, that Christ is. Because every day, I don't know if you've noticed this or not. But every day of your life seems to contain a challenge to your faith in Christ. Because every day of your life, you have an enemy. The enemy of your soul. The one that Scripture calls a roaring lion. And he seeks to do to you and me what he attempted to do with Jesus. When he had him isolated. Alone in the desert. If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. Command the stones to become bread. If you are the Son of God. Throw yourself down from the temple. See, he was attempting to get Jesus not to have faith. To doubt his own identity. Or at least to get him to act outside of who that identity called him to be and what that identity had called and was calling him to do. Every day is a challenge to faith. So every day we have to come to Christ in faith. Coming is simply movement toward Him. His Spirit calls, we respond, we get up, and we move. Are you moving toward Christ in faith? Secondly, coming to Christ means drawing near to Him. The same Greek word that Peter uses here is used in several places or translated as draw near. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. 15 and 16. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And Hebrews 7.25, He is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. There are more verses than these, but these are enough. They describe coming to Christ as drawing near to one that you know intimately. One that you know welcomes you. One that you know sympathizes with you. One that knows how very weak you are. One who knows and wants to help you in your need. One you know prays for you. Because we know Him so well, we draw near to Him. Do you draw near to Christ? Or do you live a spiritually parched life? How often do you come to Him? How often do you draw near to the rock? My only goal for this morning has been to to pump the handle just a little so that some of that abundant grace of Christ might flow out to us. My goal this morning is just to give you a small taste of His goodness, to show you all that He has done for us and how sweet it is so that you'll be drawn to Him, so that you'll come to the rock. Christ was struck on the cross for us so that the blessings of His grace might flow out to you and to me. And so let me just say this. This moment right now is no time for guilt, for what you have not done. It's time for repentance. It's always time for repentance. And the great reality for us of repentance, which is simply turning around and going in a new direction is just that. When we repent, we turn around and we go in a new direction and we leave the past behind. So don't waste your time right now. If you might be doing this, feeling guilty that you have not been coming to Christ, that you haven't been drawing near to Him enough, listen, just come. Come to Him now. Draw near to Him now. If you've never come to faith in Christ, as your Lord and Savior is the only one who can forgive you for your sins, now is the moment. You've heard of His goodness. You've heard of His grace. And that's for you. And so you come in faith to Him. And then we continue to go to Him to access these blessings, to live out of them. But let let me warn you about this. This is a spoiler alert. 
the more you come to Christ, the more you draw near to Him, the more you will want to come to Him. Because Christ is so abundantly good and Christ is so abundantly gracious. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ. We know that we are the grumbling complainers. As your people in ancient Israel over and over again. And yet, Lord, you continue to bless. We thank you. For your grace that though we are not worthy, you pour out your blessing. You make us worthy in Christ. Lord, we just ask that through the power of your Spirit, you would open our eyes to see the glory and the grace of Christ. Cause us to want to be near that rock and the water of life he contains. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.